0: The title of this morning's message is Hope in a Hard Place. Subtitle is Part 2 of Everlasting Love. The last time I ministered, I ministered on Scripture out of Jeremiah where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Last time what happened was uh, my introduction turned into a message all by itself. (laughs) And so uh, I didn't actually get to take you through the Scripture that I wanted to take you through. And so that's actually what we're going to do this morning. But as I began to prepare the Lord just said hope in a hard place. I said, okay, let's look at this from hope in a hard place then. (laughs) So this morning I want to talk to you about having hope in the midst of a hard place. As we know, life can be hard. It can be hard physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually. Hard times, hard places come in all different sizes and types. And we've all had hard times in our life due to just a myriad of different circumstances. In our own life, we've experienced hard times financially. My husband is a salesman, and when the recession hit in 2008, guess what? Things got hard, things got tight, but God is faithful. I've experienced in my own life hard times physically. Uh, Eighteen months ago, I received my healing for fibromyalgia. I was on five different medications and IML, um, none of those, amen? <laughs> but I was sick for literally years probably 10 years. So I know what it's like to have physical hard places where every day you're, you're thinking is today the day Lord? Is today the day Lord? <laughs> you know and you, you're waiting and that's hard it can be very hard. I've had uh, hard places emotionally. About six years ago now my daughter and her husband were doing foster to adopt and they got a little boy at four days old and they were promised by social services this baby is yours this one is a keeper we're absolutely sure the parents are incarcerated this is a done deal two and a half years later out of the blue the birth family decides they want the baby back and a court of law decreed that it should be so hard emotionally hard (laughs) and then of course sometimes we struggle in hard places spiritually when I was talking to you last time I was talking to you about my son who is what you would call a prodigal he is a born-again spirit filled tongue-talking believer who just suddenly one day walked away I know what the truth of what God's Word says but I see in the natural what I see in the natural sometimes causes me to struggle with the truth of what God's Word says is it really true can we come into a hard place spiritually where we're not sure or we're sure one day but we're not sure the next (laughs) yes yes sometimes we struggle with the truth of God's Word and the validity of how true it is in our lives so hard places the truth is I don't want my son to have to get to the proverbial pig pen (laughs) before he decides to remember the goodness of his father so that's where this message came out of what gets us through these hard places? well the answer is really always Jesus what he does is he speaks promise and he speaks hope to us in the midst of our trial what I want you to come away with this morning is this a renewed sense of biblical hope in the midst of your hard place. If you're not in one now, praise God. <laughs> but just so you know, it will come around. <laughs> Life has a way of, of doing that. We're not looking for them, but they do come. This morning we're going to look at what the Lord said to Jeremiah in the midst of his hard time. Jeremiah, he didn't just have a hard time. He had a hard life. <laughs> Everything in, in Jeremiah's life was hard. Jeremiah was ordained by God as a prophet before his birth. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He was appointed and he was anointed. And sometimes we think if we're appointed and anointed, then things are going to be easy. Right? Because I'm doing the will of God, and I'm right where He wants me to be, so of course it's going to be easy. Has anyone found that to be true? (laughs) (laughs) Look, all those hands stay down. (laughs) (laughs) Doing the will of God is not always easy. A lot of times you're going to go through hard places, not because you're disobedient, but because you're obedient because he sends us into hard places he sends us into the midst of a hard time to declare the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is always the answer always Jeremiah let me tell you what his life was like first of all God forbade him to marry he said I don't want you to have a wife and children you see Jeremiah was commissioned by God to preach judgment glad I'm not Jeremiah That was what he was commissioned to do. The Israelites had gotten so far away from the Lord, they were sacrificing their own children on altars to Molech. They had so far gone into the darkness that no one could tell that they knew the one true and living God. This was not okay because God needs them to be the light to the world and be able to be separated unto him so he can bring the Messiah. The salvation not of just Israel but of all mankind. So a lot of times people say God was so mean in the Old Testament. <laughs> no, God was so loving. But God could only work from the outside in in the Old Testament. Believers today, God works from the inside out. And also, he was always working in accordance with his covenant. You got to remember whenever we read the Old Testament, it's a different covenant that's not our covenant (laughs) thank you Jesus that's not our covenant (laughs) when (laughs) when we get out of line he's not gonna slap us he didn't actually do that to Israel either he was long-suffering he held his arms out to them over and over and over and pleaded with them to come back that he had a, a plan and a future for them He had good things for them, that according to His covenant, He would provide for their every need, healing, provision, protection, everything. Color inside the lines, (laughs) and all will be well. They never colored inside the lines. (laughs) They always were running astray. But God's covenant with them was, do good, be blessed. Do bad, be punished. (laughs) Those were the lines so when they went outside the lines God because he's faithful to his word and to his covenant he's faithful to his word and his covenant whatever covenant you're in he's faithful to that covenant and that covenant demanded justice that covenant demanded that he deal with them according to his covenant and that's what he did so often you hear God's heart in the Old Testament his longing for Israel to come to him his longing to embrace Israel he didn't want to punish them he didn't want to be harsh with them I remember when my children were younger especially teenagers you're like please don't make me punish you can we get through one week without somebody being grounded come on (laughs) that was God's heart that's my heart for my children that's God's heart for his children I don't want that for you please stay inside the covenant that was his heart for them but because he's a God who is faithful to his covenant he had to let them suffer the consequence of breaking covenant the consequence of breaking covenant was judgment now the Israelites didn't really believe God would bring judgment you see he had been so long suffering he waited so long (laughs) they began to think doesn't matter God doesn't see. God doesn't care. God won't punish us because we have a temple in Jerusalem. And as long as we have a temple in Jerusalem, we are all good. Because to a Jew, the temple was heaven on earth. So to them, as long as they had the covenant, they had the presence of God, and therefore, they were safe from their enemies. How foolish. Their trust was in the building and not in a Savior. So Jeremiah got the joy <laughs> of preaching judgment to them. Because he preached judgment everywhere he went, he was persecuted by his own family, he was plotted against by the people of his hometown, he was rejected and reviled by his peers in the religious world, the chief temple priest had him whipped and put in stacks, he was falsely accused by a false prophet of being a false prophet, he was thrown into a cistern as punishment from one of the many unhappy kings he prophesied to, And he watched one of the kings rip up his manuscripts, strip by strip, and burn it. It would take over a year to redo what he had destroyed. Does that sound like a hard life to you? (laughs) I think it was a hard life. I think it was very hard. Jeremiah was also called the weeping prophet. And I think God picked Jeremiah because of his heart. His heart was tender. His heart really reflected God's heart. God didn't want to send judgment. God tried everything on the outside to bring them back to Himself. But because God so loved all of mankind, He had to bring judgment on Israel. This is Old Covenant, not our covenant. Whenever you read the Word, you always have to decipher, is this my covenant or is this Moses' covenant? Our covenant is the New Covenant, and it works completely different always have to remember that part. So, Jeremiah's message was not a happy message. Nobody liked what Jeremiah had to say. Everybody knew he was a prophet, and they would call for him. The kings would call for him, come and prophesy good things to me. Call and prophesy that, how am I, I'm going to overtake my enemies. Come, tell me good stuff. And he never did. <laughs> he never cooperated. That's how he ended up in a cistern. A cistern is a big underwater hole that they would use to collect rainwater during the rain season and then they would use it during the dry season. The Dry season had come and gone and the only thing that was in this cistern was darkness and muck and mire. And they knew by putting somebody in a cistern that they would eventually die because the muck and the mire would eventually just pull them down and they would suffocate alone and in darkness. Hard. (laughs) Hard. God rescued him out of that. God sent a godly man to speak to the king on his behalf and he was rescued. God is good. So God had told Jeremiah they have crossed the line. It's time for judgment. There's no more opportunity for repentance. I'm going to allow the Babylonians and the Assyrians to take over. If you want to live submit to this captivity, let them take you. The false prophets of the day were saying, no, this is not God's will, we need to fight this. Now that sounds like a good idea, let's just fight the enemy, we'll overtake them because we have, we have the temple. <laughs> the temple is going to help us, right? Hmm. <laughs> so Jeremiah and God are having this conversation. Jeremiah has God's heart for Israel. So he's saying, Lord, it's really not their fault. You know, the people who are running amok and and sacrificing their children and, and pouring out drink offerings to the queen of heaven, he said, those are the uneducated poor people. They just haven't been instructed properly. Let me go to the upper echelon. Let me go to those who have prestige and power and position. They know the ways of God. They knew the ways of God they weren't walking in them but they knew them so God says okay okay Jeremiah I'll make a deal with you you go to Jerusalem and you find me one Abraham got God down to ten <laughs> he'll said, he said I will spare them if they if you can find me ten righteous right well with Jeremiah God says in chapter 5 verse 1 run to and fro, this is the Lord speaking, through the streets of Jerusalem, look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one, who does justice and seeks truth, that I might pardon her. One! (laughs) Jeremiah says, okay. Jeremiah is a man of hope there. (laughs) Jeremiah says, there's got to be one. (laughs) So he goes and he looks, and guess what? God knew. If there were one, I would pardon the whole nation. One. But there wasn't one. So God says, judgment is coming. This is just a side note. I don't believe God is going to judge America. So much of what you hear on Christian television is, get ready, judgment is coming to America. How many righteous do we have in this building? Hello? If God would spare an entire nation for one righteous person in power and authority, God says, if I got one, I can do something. One! The one! (laughs) God's got millions in America who declare and profess Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't believe judgment is coming to America. Judgment was part of God's old covenant. It was necessary. It is not part of the New Covenant. One of my favorite authors is a man called Paul Ellis. And when talking about the judgment against uh, America, this is what he says. All of our sins were dealt with at the cross. We have been fully redeemed and sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. There is a day coming when Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. But this is only bad news if you're a goat. (laughs) If you are a sheep, it is a day to look forward to with eager anticipation and confidence. Where does this confidence come from? It comes from the revelation of the Father's love as expressed in the Son's perfect work on the cross. We, the Church of Jesus Christ, are not goats. If God would spare an entire nation for one, how much more will he do for a nation that's full of believers? John chapter 12 verse 31 says this. Now is the judgment of this world. Did you hear that? Jesus said now is the judgment of this world. When was now? 2,000 years ago. God said judgment on the world was, was then, not now. It goes on in verse 32 and says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. In your Bible, if you have the word men, it's usually italicized because it's not there. The translators decided that's what Jesus was trying to say. But what is the context of this scripture? The context is the verse before it. Now is the judgment. Because Jesus Christ said, I will draw all judgment unto me. The judgment for sin. That's what Jeremiah was having to tell people. Your sins are going to cause judgment to come upon you because that is your covenant. That is not our covenant. God does not punish us for our sins. Now He will let us do some sowing and reaping. America may reap what she has sown. But it will not be God's hand of judgment. Because all judgment was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, if I be lifted up. And they understood that perfectly. He wasn't saying, if I be exalted in the eyes of men. No, he was saying, if I be crucified, if I take judgment on myself, all judgment is what I'm taking. It's not a partial judgment. He isn't going to punish Jesus and then just spank us a little bit. No." All judgment for sin was poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross. 1 John 2:2 2, 2 says, "And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world." Not just the sins of Israel. Not just the sins of those who would believe. The sins for everyone. The entire world, for all people, for all time. One sacrifice, all judgment. Christ alone 2 Corinthians 5.19 says in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation he's not counting our sins against us why? because he's already counted them against Christ Christ became sin so that we could not just have right standing But actually become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus You see, Abraham was counted righteous He had right standing We have so much more We are the very righteousness of God in Christ My spirit man is one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ I don't have, you know, cohabitation (laughs) going on in my spirit It is one union I have been married to the Lord Jesus Christ, I am one spirit with Him. That makes all the difference. So I don't just have right standing, I am righteous. Amen. The first thing to remember in a hard place or a hard time is that God is not counting our sins against us. We are included in the new covenant of God's grace. When bad things happen or difficult seasons come, it is not God punishing our sins. About 98% of the book of Jeremiah is about judgment. How many of us regularly read Jeremiah? (laughs) We don't, because it's all about judgment. (laughs) But in the midst of Jeremiah, now Jeremiah is not an easy book, and this is why. It's not chronological. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it's pieces and parts, and sometimes the what happened at the end, you see in the front, and (laughs) it's quite a jigsaw puzzle. But what I love about the book of Jeremiah, right smack dab in the middle, you find what's called the book of consolation and comfort. God called the book, not just his entire manuscripts, which is what Jeremiah is, it's all of those manuscripts he had to rewrite. That might be why they're out of order. <laughs> God spoke to Jeremiah in the midst of his hard place. Jeremiah was brokenhearted because Judgment had begun. The Assyrians had come. Israel was divided up into two kingdoms, the southern and the northern. One was ten tribes, they called Israel, and then there was two tribes they called Judah. The tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And the other one was all the other ten. The tribe of Judah and Benjamin are the ones that went to Babylon willingly. They followed the instructions of the Lord. The Lord said, submit, and they did because they did, even though he said, you're in a hard place, you're where I want you to be. You're where I want you to be. That is where he spoke in Jeremiah 29 when he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. We always have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know that particular promise is really referring to the promised Messiah, is really referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised Messiah future and the promised hope. So right smack dab in the middle God gives Jeremiah this book called Consolation and Comfort. It's actually four chapters, 30 through 33, depending on which scholar you want to listen to. Some scholars only give you the first two. Most scholars give you all four. I believe really if you read the context it really is all four, 30 through 33. What is hope? I looked at it in Webster's 1828 dictionary and it says this, hope is a desire of some good, accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it, or a belief that it is obtainable. Hope differs from a wish and a desire in this, that it implies some expectation of obtaining the desired good, or at least the possibility of possessing it. Hope, therefore, always gives pleasure or joy whereas a wish and a desire may produce anxiety and pain. Well, what's the difference? Wishing and wanting, having desire, has no action and no expectation. How many times have you ever said to yourself, oh, I wish they would invent something for this. (laughs) Oh, I wish they would have this at the grocery store. Oh, I wish someone would do this. It's just wishing. We're not actually expecting something to come from it. We're just expressing, I would like it to be this way. It's not, and I would like it to be. (laughs) We don't expect it to actually change. We don't put any effort into actually helping it to be changed. That's just a wish. I wish I could win a million dollars. Now if I thought there was a possibility of actually winning a million dollars, I might go buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) Not my thing. (laughs) Hope says, I know it's possible. That's like people, when people do buy a lottery ticket, they go, it is possible. They actually have hope. They've done something. They put action behind that belief. But if they just wish, I've said it, oh, I wish I had a million bucks. Oh, I wish I had all the money in the world. I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> do I really expect that to happen? No. (laughs) Do I say it still? Yeah. (laughs) But hope says, I know it's possible. Hope, biblical hope, is a confident expectation of good. A confident expectation of good. You see, I can hope for a church building. We're looking. We're looking. We are. (laughs) Hope says, there's a possibility. You see, if I were just wishing for a new church building, I would sit on my death. Because a wish doesn't mean anything. A wish doesn't have any power. A wish doesn't motivate me. But a hope motivates. It says, this is possible. This is obtainable. This can come to pass. Years ago, I asked the Lord to help me understand the difference between hope and faith. Now, in the Old Testament, you don't see the word faith used. You see it used only twice. But you hear the word hope hundred and thirty times. So the word hope can be translated trust. You know if I put my trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord, it's not wishing. <laughs> it's actually expecting. Hope expects. Hope is faith for the future. This really helped me when the Lord showed me this. Faith says, I have it now. Even if I don't have it in my hand, I have it in my spirit. This is a done deal. I know it's done because I've asked the Lord and He has said yes. (laughs) I know this is done. That's faith. Hope says, I believe I have it, but it's in my future. That's the difference. Faith takes possession. Hope says it's mine out there. I am hoping for a church building. My wishing... No. I know we have a church building, but it's in my future. I'm going to walk into that future. I'm going to walk into that reality. And when I do, then it has become faith. (laughs) In the Old Testament there isn't a lot of difference between the word hope and faith. They're so closely related. When we hear in the Old Testament the word hope, it always includes this confident expectation of good. But it's usually for something in your future. Not something you have possession of today. So where do we find hope? Psalms one nineteen fourteen says, "Thou art my hiding place and my shield; I hope in thy word." One nineteen verse one sixteen says, "Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope, my confident expectation in seeing God's goodness in my life." Psalms 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait. And hope always has waiting involved. Because it's in the future. It's you receiving something for your future. Probably the best explanation is heaven. We don't say, let's put it this way, we do say the hope of heaven. I have the hope of heaven we are not saying, gee, I hope I get in. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. We're saying, no, I have a confident expectation that when my time comes, I know where home is. (laughs) I'm going home. You can't talk a Christian out of home. (laughs) We know it belongs to us, but where does it belong to us? In our future. So we know that when we get there, we have what we have believed. That is God's kind of hope. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Psalm 130, verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him there is plenteous redemption. Love that. Plenteous, plenteous redemption. There's enough redemption for everybody. <laughs> Jesus Christ has paid for everybody. There is plenteous redemption. We have been bought out of the slave system of Babylon out of Satan's dominion we've been translated into this wonderful kingdom of light. there is plenteous redemption that makes me so happy plenteous I get a carry-away I just love that in the midst of Jeremiah's grief and sadness and sorrow he also wrote another book called Lamentations I love this in chapter 3 he's whining Did you know you can whine to God? (laughs) You can. It's not very productive, but He will let you do it. (laughs) He knows it's important for us to express where we are. He is not disappointed when we have sorrow and sadness in our life. He knows that whining won't get you what you want, but He knows in the midst of the, the hard place and the feelings of sorrow and the feelings of sadness and the feelings of being overwhelmed, that you are very able to receive his mercy and grace. Amen? That's what happened to Jeremiah. In chapter 3, he's whining and complaining and telling God just how bad and awful and horrible it was because it was. He wasn't underestimating. He wasn't exaggerating. It was awful. But in the midst of it, he says the most amazing thing. Lamentations 3.21 But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What did he call to mind? What caused him to have hope? The next verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Why do they come every morning? Because great is your faithfulness. I love the word mercy, too. It's awesome. Mercy is God's answer to our pain. You see, most of the time we think of mercy of not getting what we deserve. But guess what? When we come into the covenant of grace, when we receive the right standing and the righteousness of God alone, do we deserve punishment for our sins? No. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment. (laughs) So what is mercy for? Mercy has the word compassion in it. When we hurt, he says sin causes pain. Every time. Sin causes pain. But sometimes we're hurting not because of our sin, but because of somebody else's. That could be your spouse, your employer, your government. (laughs) Sin causes pain. Pain is not God's punishment. It's not. He says, when you hurt, when you hurt, you need my tender mercy. My mercy is the comfort and the compassion that your life and your heart. Mercy heals. That's why mercy is so important. Mercy heals. No matter what the situation we are in, the Lord has a word for us. A word that brings a confident expectation of God's goodness towards us. Jesus Christ Himself is our hope. Because of the finished work of the cross, we can believe we have a future and a hope of receiving His goodness towards us. We call that grace. When the Lord shows us what is in the future and that we have a future, we have joy and peace. If we're just hoping, and I, see, I do see Christians sometimes do this, they're hope, not biblical hope, <laughs> they're wishing, I'm wishing something would happen. And when it doesn't, then they're disappointed, and they like to blame God, but they never stepped out and really entered into biblical hope that leads us to have faith, to take possession of the things that we hope for. Knowing what is in our future helps us to be patient where we are. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and every good work it is through his grace because of his absolutely free unmerited love for us his grace that he wants to speak words of comfort and words of peace to us all of this began when the Lord started ministering to me about my son My son is basically a prodigal. He lives in a far country, not literally, but (laughs) he lives in the far country just like the prodigal in Luke 15. I know the truth of God's word, that God gives us an eternal salvation, that God gives us everlasting consolation, that God gives us good hope. I see the truth of God's word, but I see the facts of my son's life. And sometimes I'm going, Lord, look. (laughs) Do you see that? I don't want to look. I don't want to see because it breaks my heart. So one day I said, Lord, talk to me. I have to know what you're doing. (laughs) I need some biblical hope here. And so the Lord brought me to the book of consolation. I'm just going to run through it real quickly and let you see how God uses his word to speak comfort and hope and promise to us. I want to begin at chapter 31, verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. What he was saying there is that I'm going to restore. Verse 1, I'm going to restore. It's no longer going to be Israel and Judah. It's going to be restoration. He calls them completely Israel. The Lord was speaking, restoration. Thus says the Lord in verse 2, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. I love this one too (laughs) when the Assyrians came through and people were killed but some of them were not and it says when they ran into the wilderness to escape the punishment that had come they found grace in the wilderness they found Christ in the wilderness they thought they were running (laughs) from the hand of God but they ran right into his grace love that. The Lord was saying, your son thinks he's running away, but he's running right into the arms of grace. Verse 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ loved me and my son. That love is so amazing and so unending. He says, therefore, I have drawn them with loving kindness. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not punishment. My father, in his goodness, is going to restore my son. In verse 4, it says, again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Several chapters earlier, he's calling Israel a harlot. (laughs) what happened to her what happened to Israel grace happened to Israel he made her brand new does that sound like a new creation to you yes it does he said you run into the arms of grace and I will make you a brand new creation you will never be the same As he goes on, again, you will take up tambourines and you will go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. He says, you're going to have a party. (laughs) When you run into the arms of grace, you're going to have a party because he's good. He is good. But then he goes in verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, shout among the chiefs of the nations, proclaim and give praise and say, O Lord, save thy people the remnant of Israel. Verse 8. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country. This is my promise. This is my promise. Behold, look, see, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. And I love this too. I know, I just love God's word. Don't you just love God's word? (laughs) Among them, the blind and the lame the woman with child, and she who is in labor with child together. A great company, and they shall return here. With weeping they shall come. And by supplication I will lead them. And I will make them walk by streams of water, and on a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. But what he's trying to say here. Can you imagine traveling? The pregnant woman, the woman in labor. (laughs) Doesn't that sound hard? (laughs) Almost impossible. (laughs) But you know what he's saying? He says, I'm going to make it easy. Coming home is always easy. It's not hard. Down in uh, verse 11, it says, And the Lord has ransomed... Jacob, and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he." So often believers go out into the world and they they run amok. (laughs) And you're going, oh, you know, Jesus, what are you doing? (laughs) But they begin to believe the lie. It's too hard to go home. This is bigger than me. How can I turn back now? They believe the lie that they've gone back into captivity. I with my loving kindness, will bring them home. Verse 13, then the virgin, the one made new, shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old men together are partying, and I will turn their mourning into joy. For I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow, and I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance. That's us, that's us. We're the priests. He'll fill our soul with abundance of his goodness. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Forever I was looking for truth. And I was never satisfied. But when I found grace, I found rest. I found satisfaction. Then nothing satisfies my soul like grace. In verse 16 it says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, declares the Lord. And they shall return from the land of the enemy. There is a hope and a future, declares the Lord. And your children shall return to their own territory. Those are my promises. This chapter goes on, it's amazing. It goes on in verse uh, 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This has always been God's heart. I want you to have a new covenant, a way that I can relate to you on my goodness, not your performance. Even then, When he had to bring judgment because that was part of the covenant. His heart was saying, look ahead. Look ahead. See what I see. I see a new covenant. A covenant of grace. A covenant of mercy. Well, I don't have to deal with you based on your sin. But I deal with you based on my goodness. I can shower you with my love. You don't have to earn it anymore. You can be mine forever. My grace is sufficient for every dark place. I will speak comfort to you and peace to you. And I will bring you home and I will satisfy you with good things. Amen? God wants to speak hope to our hearts in every dark place. He has a promise for every situation. He has only good things for His children. Amen? Father God, I thank You. I thank You for the new covenant. No longer do I stand before You ashamed. i stand clothed in the very righteousness of jesus christ you see me holy and pure and righteousness and i don't ever have to be ashamed again father god i thank you for the blood of jesus christ that is sufficient for every need you have bought and paid for us and for everything that we have need of your word tells us You have supplied everything we need for life and for godliness. You have made us to look like you. You have made us your children. And you delight to take care of us. Father God, I thank you that you are at work in the lives of the prodigals that we know. That even now, your loving kindness is at work. That you are drawing them. Even if we can't see it, your Holy Spirit is Faithful, Great is your faithfulness to reach those we cannot. Father God, I thank you. You are sending laborers into their field. You are sending laborers who have the exact word at the exact time. That will give them the courage to come home. Father God, I ask that you bless us. That you would cause your favor to rest on us. That everywhere we go, the light and the glory of Jesus Christ would so shine through us that others would hunger and thirst for that same righteousness. Father God, I thank you that they shall be filled. We give you all honor, all praise, and all glory. I thank you, Father God, for every word of hope. We never have to sink in the mire of darkness. You are a light that shines brighter than any circumstance. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.